0: Yeah, you can clap for that. Wow. Guys, welcome to Salt Company. What a fun night that we have tonight to just get to celebrate what God is doing through the nation and through um, just Salt Company is planted on all these campuses. Um, And it's just so fun to be reminded and to see so many faces that we don't even know, guys. There's so many more stories behind that video that we don't know. Um, But God is changing so many lives, and it's just so fun to be a part of it. And it's fun to get to just see little glimpses. Um, but tonight, we we get a really fun night because uh, Ronnie Goble is here, and he's going to preach the word for us tonight. And yes, you can cheer for Ronnie. So Ronnie Goble, he is the Salt Company director in Madison, Wisconsin at Doxa Church. And if you guys don't know a little bit even about my own story with the Salt Network, I actually went to Iowa State and got plugged into Salt Company in Ames. And after I graduated, I was on staff for two years in Ames, where that's where I met Ronnie. Ronnie had moved to Ames to be a church planning candidate to to train and equip for a year before he was going to be sent out to Madison, and um, we got to know each other, and I actually got to be on the church planning team with Ronnie, and so we moved. We packed up our stuff from Ames. We moved to Madison, Wisconsin together with several other people that said yes, and um, we got to start Doxa Church and Salt Company that now continues to reach UW-Madison, and so, guys, it is a treat to have Ronnie here. Ronnie and his wife, Caitlin, are some of my greatest friends. They're some of my godliest friends. Ronnie was an usher in my wedding. He was the oldest one, um, the only one who he had was. kids. Um, so yeah, it is a real uh, treat. It kind of feels like uh, my best friends are meeting tonight. So Iowa City Salt Company, meet Ronnie. And Ronnie, meet Iowa City Salt Company. Why don't you guys give him a hand?
1: Thanks, guys. Thank you, thank you. Emily, I feel like Solomon really faked us out a couple times with the music and with his moves and everything. So. We used to work pretty well together. Guys, uh, welcome to, to Salt Company. My name's Ronnie. Uh, there's a picture of my family that should come up here on the screen. My wife, Caitlin, my oldest, Jackson, here on the left, and then that's Hayes right there. And so Jackson, he is three and a half, and he was actually born in Ohio, where my wife, Caitlin, and I were before we moved to Ames, then before we moved to Madison. So when I really kind of think about this journey of, of even the Salt Network and us in Madison, I can kind of look at him and just track what God has been doing all along the way to see like the gospel go out to all these different university towns around the country and as Emily said getting to help start Doxa Church and Salt Company in Madison has been one of the great honors of my life I've had a ton of fun and I've also just learned a ton about myself I think like a lot of my sin a lot of my pride has been exposed in that process it hasn't always looked pretty And one story that I remember from our first year of starting the church there that I always remember, it was actually Emily and I, we were doing uh, student leader interviews. Okay, so it was at the end of a long year of just like hoping to see God move. And I remember we had been like doing interviews on campus and there's basically a street that goes from the campus all the way to the Capitol building downtown. And we were walking back from interviews and it had gone really well. Okay, so it's like a 15 minute walk and we're having time to, to debrief. And I think we had like four student leaders or something like that in our first year that just kind of scrapping, trying to get it going. And then we were about to have 20. And so we're celebrating, and we're walking, and we're talking. And honestly, as the director, I'm feeling pretty good about myself after after year one, right? And so as Emily and I are talking, we almost get to the cars. And I, you know, I'm know, i like, so, you know, Emily, it's just amazing to see how God has has moved this year through us to use us. And, you know, I meant that. But I think what I was honestly doing was trying to set myself up for a little compliment. So I'm hoping that Emily's going to be like, totally, Ronnie, you know, you did such a great job leading this year. You're such an awesome salt company director. I just can't believe I've gotten to, to work with you. But then as we're walking and talking, at the end of our walk there, we're at the car, she says, totally, um, Ronnie, I don't know how to tell you this, but your fly has been unzipped the whole time that we've been walking back from these leader interviews. And that moment right there, I mean, that kind of captures it. That's, that's a little bit about me. That's kind of who I am. That's kind of how year one went, like planting Doxa Church in a nutshell. Like God totally moved. He, he saved people. He raised leaders up. I wanted to take credit for far too much of it. You know, if I had any swagger in my life before we moved to Madison to start Doxa Church, I think that God kind of knocked that out of me. And I actually heard a quote um, in year one of being there that said, leadership is the death of swagger. Which I was kind of like, okay, so this death feeling that I'm feeling is actually a good thing. It means I'm becoming a better leader. And I've been told that you guys are going through the Old Testament, right? We're in the Old Testament of the Bible, kind of journeying through it. And I was told to talk about Moses tonight. Did that sound right to you guys? Was it Abraham last week? Moses tonight? And if there ever was a guy in the Bible who should have walked with a swagger, it was this guy, Moses. If you know at the beginning of his story, he, he literally like, kills a man with his bare hands. Okay, then he meets God and he changes and he doesn't do that kind of stuff anymore, but still he did it, right? Then he does, if you know much about a story, he does a whole bunch of other stuff like literally with his hands. Like if you watch like the story of Moses, he's just like commanding things to happen and he's got this stick that God gives him to use. But leadership is the death of swagger. Moses was this interesting man that if anybody could have had swagger, it would have been him, but he didn't. And so what I want you to do is go to your Bibles, go to Deuteronomy chapter 34, Deuteronomy 34. And if you don't know a ton about Moses, you know, his story, it's found in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. He's this massive figure in the Bible, and so honestly, it's kind of hard to pick, like, what are you going to preach about from his life? And I actually, tonight, didn't pick one of the more famous stories. I picked this scene from the end of his life where he dies. Okay, and so on Salt Network night, right after we saw this video, I'm sure that all of us, like in some way, you like want to have your yes on the table. You want to say, I will go. And as I looked at Deuteronomy 34 this week, I was just asking the question, you know, what would Moses say to our movement? If we were actually at the Salt Conference right now and Moses was allowed to get up there and speak, like what would he say to you as a college student? What would he say to us as churches on mission together? And I think that kind of that excitement that you probably felt from watching that video, if you want that to translate into an actual vibrant life with God long-term and an actual impact for the sake of the world, we need to spend some time with Moses tonight. We need to let our youthfulness be taught by his wisdom. For all of us that are like at the start of our race, we need to learn from this man who actually finished his. And so tonight, with Moses, I really just want to ask two questions, okay? First, what was it that marked his life? Who was he? And then second, what did his life point to? What was he all about? Let's read Deuteronomy chapter 34. So it says, Then Moses, he went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo, to the top of Pisgah, which is opposite of Jericho, and the Lord showed him all the land, Gilead as far as Dan. Dan. All of Naphtali, the land of Ephraim, Manasseh, all the land of Judah, as far as the western sea, the Negeb and the plain, that is the valley of Jericho, and the city of palm trees, as far as Zoar. And so Moses has been led by God to climb up on a mountain, which is something that he does a lot in his story. He's up there with God. And the stuff that he's looking at, guys, this is what he had worked for his entire life. This is what his whole mission had been. He'd been to, to lead Israel out into the promised land. So he's climbed up on this mountain with God, and God is letting him. See it. Verse 4 says, And the Lord said to him, This is the land of which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to your offspring. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you shall not go over there. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. And he buried him in the valley in the land of Moab, opposite of Bethpur. But no one knows the place of his burial to this day. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eyes were undimmed and his vigor unabated. And the people of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days. Then the days of weeping and mourning for Moses were ended. And then Joshua, the son of Nun, he was full of the spirit of wisdom, and for Moses had laid his hands on him. So the people of Israel obeyed him and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. And there has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. None like him for all the signs and the wonders that the Lord had sent him to do in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all of his servants in all of the land, and for all the mighty power and all the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. And then just like that, Moses quietly dies, and the story of God continues. So for most of us, when we think about Moses, one of the more well-known Guys, in the Bible, you think about some of like the larger and bigger like leadership moments of his life. So let's just work through some of these together and try to remember. And I need you guys, especially you front row guys right here, help me out here. I think we know some of these things. Let's just walk through his life. So in Exodus three, we have this time where Moses he hears from God through this burning what bush. Okay, the burning bush. That's Exodus three. Then Exodus four through eleven, he confronts this evil king named the Pharaoh, right? And then there's all these plagues and Moses has this stick and he's kind of constantly walking up to Pharaoh. And there's all this, that's Exodus 4 through 11. Then Exodus 12 through 13, right? He tells the Israelites to put blood over their doors as they celebrate what was called the, the Passover. Exodus 14, what does he do next? He leads them to cross this big body of water called the Red Sea. Okay, now they get a little bit harder from here, so I'm just gonna take it from here, but you guys did very well. Some of the next things that happen in Moses' life, he goes up on top of this mountain called Mount Sinai. He gets the Ten Commandments. That's Exodus chapter twenty. There's this epic moment where God is is so um, moving with His justice towards the people of Israel for their sin, but Moses prays to God that He would not destroy them, intercedes for them because they've, they've sinned at the golden calf. That's Exodus thirty-two. The whole book of Leviticus basically is about Moses getting these instructions about how to build this building called the Tabernacle and this thing called the Ark of the Covenant where they would actually dwell with God and he would dwell with them. The book of Numbers is Moses leading these people through the wilderness. And it's really just like a miserable story, like a miserable book. If you read, like literally chapter 11 in Numbers is just titled, The People Complain. (laughs) And then Numbers 14, The People Rebel. And then in Numbers 20... There's this moment where Moses, who's been so patient, right, so long-suffering, he finally just basically loses it. He loses his cool, loses his patience. He strikes this rock in, like, the wrong way and with the wrong motives, and so it comes out of anger. And then this book that we just read the last chapter of, the book of Deuteronomy, and what Deuteronomy basically is is, like, this long, like, couple-day-long sermon for Moses. Some people think he might have, like, sat down in between. Other people think he literally just talked for a couple days, before Israel was going out into the promised land. And so then today in our text, chapter 34, verse 10, it says, "...since that time no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, who did all the signs and the wonders that the Lord sent Moses to do in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his officials and all his land, and no prophet who performed all the mighty acts of power and awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of all of Israel." And I don't know about you, but when I think about my life, I do tend to think more in terms of like the big like, accomplishments and the actions, the things that I was a part of and that I accomplished, right? And while you're in college, you're, like, it's right for you to try to be building up your resume, to be thinking about the adventures that you want to have with your friends, to think about your dream job and all the stuff that you want to go out in the world and do. But here's the thing about Moses. His accomplishments actually weren't the most important thing about him. His accomplishments weren't the thing that most deeply marked his life. Look back at verse 10. It says, Since that time, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. Everything that he did flowed out of this reality. Moses was a man who knew God. Intimately. Like underneath all of the action of his life, all the things that we listed out was a man who the Lord knew face-to-face. Face. In the book of Numbers, chapter 12, verse 3, it actually says that Moses was a man who was very meek, more than all of the people who were on the face of the earth. And, and meekness is not weakness. It's actually like one of the most profound forms of strength. It's the strength to control your own soul, to like wrestle down your own pride so that you can consistently stay low before God. And people, It says Moses was the man on all the earth who was the most meek. And that's what marked his life. Humility before God, intimacy with God at the core of who Moses was. All of the other stuff just flowed out of that. And so for you, at the end of your life, what will people say about who you were? What you were marked by? Like right now in college, it makes total sense to work on your resume, but what about your eulogy? Look back at verse 8. It says that the Israelites, they, they grieved for Moses in the plains of Moab for 30 days until the time of weeping and mourning for Moses came to an end. You don't weep for somebody for 30 days just because like the org chart is now miss, like, messed up and you've got to find someone to fill their role. You weep for someone for 30 days... When you've lost a great man, a man who was so close to God that just being around him, you felt close to God. A man that was so meek and so humble that even when they tried to complain and sabotage his leadership and grumbled, he was patient with them. He led them, he prayed to God to spare them, he laid down his whole life for them. And it's good when you're young to to kind of reflect on what people might say at your funeral. What are they going to cry about? And I'm telling you tonight, at funerals, the funerals I've been to, the thing that people cry about is character, not accomplishments. Because who we are is always more powerful than what we do. So that is the question. Is, Is your life right now marked by humility and intimacy with God? I think when you look at Moses' life, he's, he's proof to us that like the glory and the love and the joy that we so badly want in life, it comes from admitting we're weak, not pretending that we're strong. It comes when we confess our sins. It comes when we admit our weakness, our limits, when we admit our failures. I think we do ultimately think that we will be more loved if we pretend to be someone we aren't, but we've actually all felt how much more we love our friends when they actually open up. You've experienced this in connection group, right? When you're all sitting around the circle and then somebody finally gets real. Somebody finally takes the mask off. They stop pretending. We actually move towards each other when that happens. And we think that we're finally going to matter someday. We'll finally be significant if we can puff ourselves up and if we can draw attention to ourselves. But Jesus actually says... When we get the praise of people, we miss out on the greater reward, the praise of God. And so it's like ironic that the the thing that Moses is most famous for is actually how unconfident he was in his abilities, right? He learned over time how to be confident in God. He didn't walk around with a swagger. He actually walked around with a limp. And that's why people cried at his funeral for 30 days. And so that's a question for us. Do you want to be impressive to people or do you want people to actually know you? Do you want them to love you? And that's a temptation for us, right? When we're young, to try to put ourselves out there and be impressive, be the one that that people talk about, whether that's like just mingling before and after Saul or it's managing your social media account, whatever it is, Moses shows shows us that giving up on trying to be impressive is actually the path toward really being impressive, for people crying at your funeral. And I know that when you talk about humility, it can can get kind of tricky in your head about how to actually be humble because like the minute you start to think you're humble and then you start thinking about the fact that you're being humble, you're actually starting to get prideful, you know? And I I, I was thinking about this in college and I read a book um, by a guy named Tim Keller. It was called The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness. And what he says in that book is he says, you know, humility, it isn't thinking less of yourself. It's actually just thinking of yourself less. Think of yourself less. So you can think of humility as actually just more of a byproduct of actually looking away from yourself and toward God and others. It's getting lost in the love of God, it's getting lost in loving people. It's really just the opposite of being self absorbed. And so when you look at Moses, he was simply a man who stopped thinking about himself so much. Isn't that amazing? Simply a man who just decided to stop thinking about himself so much and get wrapped up in God and get wrapped up in people. And here's the crazy thing. Even though he loved people, he wasn't a people pleaser. He wanted the attention of God more than he wanted the attention of people. And that is a revolutionary idea for us. That is something that if it ever happened to us, it would change the world. And at the beginning of his story in Exodus 3, God, he reveals himself to Moses in the burning bush, right? And it's this moment of a lot of things going on, but it's a moment of incredible intimacy because God, he tells Moses his name. God says, I am who I am. Say to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, he has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And no matter how captivated you are by someone, there's literally just like this barrier of intimacy until you actually know their name, right? Or until they know your name. And so to the guys in the room for a second, I know that like there's somebody else in this room, there's a girl in this room that you, you don't know her name yet. She doesn't know your name yet. And there's a, there's a barrier to intimacy there, right? So the, the logical thing you got to do is you got to learn her name. You got to ask her, you know, maybe sometime after Salt Company tonight, just setting you up. I'm not going to expose you right now as long as you don't look at her as I'm continuing to say this right now, but I'm just letting you know there's a barrier to intimacy until we know each other's names. And Moses learned the name of God. Okay, this encounter that Moses had with God in Exodus 3, it would set him on a trajectory for the rest of his life of walking with God, the God that he knows by name, the God that knows His name. Moses was terrified about the mission that God was sending him on to liberate Israel. He says, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? You know what God says to him? He says, Moses, I will be with you. I will be with you. I read a book over Christmas called The Possibility of Prayer, and in it, the author, John Stark, he says, it is no overstatement to say that the most transformative thing you can do is to begin to spend unhurried time with God on a regular basis for the rest of your life. And that's Moses. Okay, that's what Moses was marked by. He was the one who was with God. He was the one that God knew face to face. And if you're trying to figure out, like, just like as a sidebar, how to try to get closer to God— Walking with God, that phrase, walking with God, that wasn't a metaphor for Moses. That was, like, actually just his life. <laughs> you read his life story. The guy's just literally walking around all the time. Like, he literally walked, he climbed up mountains, down mountains, through deserts. Like, that is, like, literally what Moses was doing. And so, like, seriously, if, if your whole relationship with God consists in sitting in chairs and being on your phone— you might not be that close to God. You might need to get up and like get moving, right? Like you might might need to try to pay more attention to God and just the everyday things of your life. I've actually found that I pray better when I'm like walking or when I'm running. Something we don't like realize about the Bible is we look back, these people were literally walking around all over the place and they were walking with God. And I do think that one of the reasons that intimacy with God can be hard for us is that your professors don't care about your prayer life, right? Like, they don't care. Sometimes it just seems incredibly unproductive for us to spend time with God, when we have so many other things that we have to do. But when you look at Moses and you see what he accomplished, you saw that it all flowed out of that center. And another reason why I think intimacy with God is hard is you can't display it on Instagram, right? Or at least you shouldn't. This is what Jesus actually taught us. He taught us that our relationship with God was meant to be hidden from others, not portrayed for the whole world to see. That's what he says in Matthew 5. He basically says, don't put your prayer life on display, your intimacy with God on display for the world to see, because that means you actually want their attention, not God's attention. It's like when you you try to date someone just so you can show them off or make a point to your ex, Like like the point is, whose attention do you really want in that? And later on, Jesus, in the same section, he's he's talking about these church people, even these church leaders who spent their whole lives using God to get the attention of people. And you know what he'll say to them in the end? He says, I never knew you. Because they never wanted to know him. I know it's hard for us to walk closely with God sometimes because if we're honest, our only reward is him. But that's what Moses learned. Moses learned that the greatest reward a person could ever obtain is to know God and be known by him. And so here's kind of the transition in this text, though. Moses, he was called the meekest man to ever live, arguably the man who walked closest to God. But we see in verse 4 that God isn't letting him go into the promised land, right? He's not letting him go in because he's too old or too tired, because if you look at verse 7, it says, his eyes were not weak, his vitality had not diminished, and what we learn is in the book of Numbers, God is not letting Moses cross into the promised land because of his sin. That even though like, his life was marked by humility and intimacy, it was still marked by sin, and sin still has consequences. And this should make us all take a step back. Right, like as we've been listening and looking at what marked his life, honestly, it makes me want to just throw my hands up in the air and say, like, if Moses, like, like I was kind of feeling the humility thing, I was feeling the intimacy with God thing, but if Moses, the meekest man who ever lived, the man that saw God face to face, he still at the end of his life couldn't get into the Promised Land because of his sin, then what? Like, it's like the inevitable end to our sad story of our life is that it ends in tragedy, no matter how great of a life you live because of our sin because of our failure, unless you aren't the point of the story, unless you're just playing a role in something that's bigger than you, unless somehow your sin and your failure is actually paving the way for someone greater than you to be the hero. And so it's important to look and consider what marked Moses' life, but it's even more important to consider what was his life pointing to. Who was his life pointing to? A couple thousand years later, in the same part of the world, another baby Israelite boy would be born. And like Moses, there would be an evil king that would try to kill him when he was just a baby. Like Moses, he would be smuggled into Egypt. Like Moses, he would spend the first part of his life in obscurity as a carpenter. Like Moses, he would walk with God. He would know him intimately. Like Moses, God would call him to set his people free from captivity. Like Moses, he would actually climb up on a mountain and teach his people God's word. Like Moses, he would be rejected. He would be ridiculed. He would be sabotaged by the people that he was trying to love. Like Moses, he would intercede for those very people who were complaining and betraying him. And he would say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Like Moses at the Red Sea, he would make a way for them to walk out of slavery and into freedom. And in Deuteronomy 34, it says that since that time, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. No prophet who did all the signs and wonders that the Lord sent to Moses to do in the land of Egypt to Pharaoh and to all his officials and all his land, and no prophet who performed all the mighty acts of power and awesome deeds that Moses did in all the sight of Israel Until Jesus. And unlike Moses, Jesus would never sin. He would never fail to obey God's will, even when it cost him his life. Moses asked God to send bread down to heaven. Jesus said, I am the bread who came down from heaven. Moses gave us the Ten Commandments. Jesus, he fulfilled the Ten Commandments. Moses said, we need new hearts if we're ever going to obey God's law. Jesus died so that he could give us those new hearts. Moses, he showed us the way to salvation. Jesus said, I am the way to salvation. Moses, he told people to slaughter the Passover lamb. Jesus, he signed up to be the Passover lamb. Moses, he built the tabernacle. He drew out all of the dimensions of it. Jesus, he came down to earth to be the tabernacle, to be God with us. Moses, he died on top of a mountain because of his sin and he wasn't able to go into the promised land. Jesus, he died on top of a mountain because of our sins, so that we could go into the promised land. It says that no one knows where Moses is buried, but he is. No one knows where Jesus is buried, because he isn't. We look at the life of Moses And he was a great man, but he was also a sinful man. And even in that, he played his role perfectly because he wasn't the point of the story. The point of his whole life was to point the world to Jesus. And so if we would be at the SALT conference right now, like if it hadn't been canceled and instead, like we're doing we're doing network night right now, but imagine that we were there. If Moses would have gotten up to preach at one of the sessions, I think these are some of the things that he would have said, and this is what we'll, we'll close with, okay? I think first, I think he would have said, Salt Company, your sin has consequences, but so does the cross. He would say, learn this from my life. Your sin has consequences, but so does the cross. We look at God kind of dealing with Moses on the top of this mountain, and guys, God isn't being cruel to Moses by not letting him go into the promised land. He's actually loving him. He's not letting him cross into the promised land because he's decided, I'm going to let you cross into glory with me. I'm going to let you see me face-to-face with Fully. And so, as Christians, we need to fight to kill our sin in this life because it actually has horrible consequences, right? Sin ruins relationships. It robs us of joy. Like, there is sin right now in your life that will bring pain into your life and into the people's lives around you if you don't kill it. Sin has consequences. It will alter your future on this earth. It will, it will kill you in this life if you don't kill it. So like your jealousy, your anger, your apathy, your lust, it will grow. It is not a cute pet. It is a predator. We need to kill it. But because of the cross, we fight our sin as people who know that it cannot kill us in the end. Jesus, he's paid the penalty for our sin right now as we walk with him. He's currently rescuing us from the power of our sin. One day we'll be free totally from the presence of our sin. And so we fight with confidence. We fight like people that can and will win. Paul says, where we're sin abounded, grace abounded all the more. I think the second thing that Moses would say to us, he would say that, Salt Company, your life matters but it's not the point. The text, it says there never was another prophet like Moses, but then you notice that God, he was just fine to take him out of the race, right, and hand the baton to Joshua, and the mission goes on. Okay, college is this time where you start to feel a lot of pressure to be someone important in the world, and, and honestly, guys, some of that is, is good, but Moses, he shows us that true greatness is to humbly let yourself be used by God. There's a pastor named Francis Schaefer. He did a whole sermon this one time on the stick that Moses uses, okay? The whole sermon was about this stick that Moses would use to perform miracles. And the whole point of it was basically this. If God can use a stick and make a stick that important, then he can use you. If you'll just humble yourself and let him. This is what Schaefer says. He says, The people who receive praise from the Lord, Jesus will not in every case or oh, the, the people who receive praise from the Lord Jesus will not in every case be the people who hold leadership in this life. There will be many people who were sticks of wood that stayed close to God and were quiet before him, and they were used in power by him in a place which looks small to men. He says, Each Christian is to be a rod of God in the place of God for him. We must remember throughout our lives that in God's sight there are no little people and no little places. One thing is important. To be consecrated persons in God's place for us at each moment. And then Schaefer said, it is these types of Christians who will, by God's grace, change the flow of their generation. And that's what we're trying to do in the Salt Network. The theme of the conference this year, as Solomon was talking about that video, was going to be go. And I think that Moses would have given a nod to that and tried to make it his last point in his message, but I think he would have added a couple words. I think he would have said, go with God. Go with God. In Exodus 33, there's this moment where Moses, he's he's leading the people through the wilderness, and he has this intimate conversation with God where he basically says, God, if you don't go with us, we don't want to go. Like, if your presence doesn't go with us, don't bring us up out of here. So my question for you is this, would you be okay... If you got to marry the person, you got to have the dream, career, you got to go on the vacations, you got to have the friends, you got to have the house, but you didn't have God. You got to go and do all those things, but you didn't go with God. You didn't have him with you. Would you be okay? Because Moses wasn't. He didn't want to go anywhere if God didn't go with him. And even at the end of his life, did you notice how he died? Did you notice who was there when Moses died? It just him and God. Look at verse 6. It says, So Moses, the servant of the Lord, he died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord, and he buried him, that he is God. He buried him in the valley of the land of Moab, opposite of Beth Peor. But no one knows the place of his burial to this day. And so after talking for literally several days in the whole book of Deuteronomy, 33 chapters, Moses in chapter 34, he doesn't say a word. He's completely silent. He lets God, the God that knew his name, the God that he knew the name of, he lets God say the last word and they look out over the promised land together and the things of the world start to fade away and he goes with God. So college is a time where you you are setting the trajectory for your lives and so two questions what will your life be marked by? What will your life point to? Let's pray. Father, we, we come to you in humility and desiring to be close. We thank you that because of the blood of Jesus, we have access to you, that we can know you, that you have revealed your name to us. Lord, and with our whole lives ahead of us, God, with so many options, with so many opportunities, with, with challenges in the way we say that we don't want to go anywhere without you. God, we don't want to pave a way through this world in our own pride. We don't want to to go and try to make a difference for your kingdom in our own strength. God, make this salt company, make, make all of us across the country a people that goes with you. God, and let us do that from a place of knowing that you came to be with us. We love you. And we know you love us more. It's in Jesus'
0: name we pray. Amen.